You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. We're going to open our Bibles back this morning to 1 Timothy. And we're going to go through the first five verses of chapter four this morning. We just introduced it last time. And there are some notes. If you were here last time, you got a set of notes. But if uh, you need a set of notes, if you uh, were not here, there are some being passed around and there were a few back there on the countertop back there at the back of the church. So we'll be finishing off page 16. House rule number 10, beware of apostasy. Not a very cheerful subject, but a very, very important one, as we're going to see as we looked last time. So let's commit our time to our Lord and ask His blessing on our study this morning. Our Father, we do thank You for this opportunity to be together, to gather in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, And now to be able to open your word and study your word, we know we are dependent upon you to be our teacher by your spirit. And so we just ask your guidance this morning. Show us what you would have us learn. Help us to apply it to our lives. And uh, we will praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last time we just began and went through a very brief study of this issue of apostasy because uh, Paul is very concerned about it as he writes to Timothy, and Timothy is going to have to deal with this issue in the churches that he's ministering to in the city of Ephesus. And we saw in chapter 4, verse 1, that Paul opens up by simply saying, now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith. And we spend a little bit of time talking about the basic definition in the Bible of apostasy and how important it is to sort of um, develop a, a biblical definition because uh, we are living in a time, obviously, that is just, uh, we're, we're swimming in a sea of apostasy, basically. And it's important for us to be able to have a working definition of what it is so that we are um, not swinging between extremes of one extreme, of course, would be just not acknowledging it, not knowing that it's there, not knowing what it looks like. And uh, the other extreme would be to uh, be chasing it around all over the place when maybe it's not really there. So we saw from Second Peter 2 and also from Jude that uh, both of those writers deal with this issue of apostasy. And we saw that um, if we take the biblical data and um, walk through some of the model, the the, the uh, examples of apostasy in scripture we can we can form a, a bit of a, a template so we can see that these all have something in common we saw that they all work through a basic uh, set of criteria they start out with some revelation from god and we looked at uh, paul's letter to the romans the first chapter verse 18 and following they they started out knowing God, even though they knew God, it says. And uh, Peter, of course, and, and Paul both are in full agreement with this. Um, he talks about how they um, 
they had the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There's some revelation that they receive. And we also saw Paul's argument is in Romans chapter 1 that every single human being has revelation because of creation. And here, once again, he goes right back to creation, the basic fundamental truth of Scripture, where it all starts. And that Judas was the uh, really the prototypical example of a New Testament apostate. He's a classic example. You could you could take him and walk right through every single one of these issues. He had revelation. He had some knowledge of God. Uh, in fact, he had tremendous amount of knowledge of God. He had the presence of Christ right there with him for three years. And then it moves to uh, rescue. There's some movement toward the the things of god maybe people join up they they sign up they might join a church or uh indicate that there is some acceptance of the truth of god judas certainly did he uh changed his life enough to walk with the disciples of jesus christ for 3 years did he not and then there is some rejection This is the part that we can't really see. It's not visible. You don't know when exactly this takes place within a person. But there is a decision to turn from the truth. And when that happens, what you can see is their return to their sin. That's the visible part. And, of course, Peter is being very graphic using that illustration of a dog returning to its vomit. You know, I mean, that's pretty graphic, especially if you have a weak stomach like me. Um, Jude also talks about this, people who um, turn away from the truth and they return back to their sensuality, as he says. They go back to where they were. Peter says they are again entangled in that. Judas certainly did that. The disciples that night didn't recognize it, right? They were all sort of uh, unaware of what was going on. We have insight because we have Scripture that tells us what was happening. But he returned to his sin. And then we saw the last step is the rejection by God. Every time this is mentioned, every time these people are talked about in Scripture, whether it's the the Israelites as Jude walks you through, um, he uses the example of the Israelites, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, and then, very interestingly, angels, angels apostatizing. Okay, We're going to be talking about that a little bit later on. But um, Judas is the classic example. And, of course, in John's Gospel, John so um, graphically presents what happened there, and it's so sad and tragic in the upper room. Um, the issue of, of Judas um, getting ready to betray the Lord. And John is very very um, fond of using uh, words that are contrastive. You know, he sounds like simple terms that which is born of the flesh is flesh that which is born of the spirit is spirit and so when you take but when you take these and look at them and define them you realize these are very complex things he also is uh uses the 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 metaphor of darkness and light okay so you could um you could walk judas right through this very same progression using the issue of light uh, he had light. He had the revelation of Jesus Christ. John talks a lot about light in the first chapter and, and on through his uh, gospel account. Um, he followed the light, did he not? He was one of the disciples. And then he he uh, there's some decision took place within him. We don't know exactly when. We have some indications in a few places in Scripture. Uh, one of them was when he uh, he made an issue out of the the 
of Mary anointing the Lord with the expensive expensive uh, perfume. You remember that? And Judas uh, objected to that. He said, well, we should sell that and give the money to the poor. Um, I think he might have been one of the first uh, social warriors, you know, social justice warriors. He was displaying his uh, supposed uh, concern and care for poor people. And, uh, but really he was a thief and he just wanted more money to be able to pilfer out of the, the money bag, as we know. But then he, he turned against the Lord. He betrayed him. That was the visible part. He got up and left that night. And, uh, he, it is so sad and graphic, that statement that is made in, in the Gospels about how he, uh, he, he was there with the Lord. He were, they were in the upper room. They were all together, and nobody knew that he was going to betray him. They didn't recognize it. This is another characteristic of apostates, right? You don't know. They're sheep in wolf's clothing. And when the Lord gave him the, the morsel or the bread, as the uh, as the as the host he would have given the first bite to the guest of honor how how judas ever wound up in the on the left side of him as the guest of honor it's it's hard to tell i'm not sure how he got there other than he put himself there and you remember um when he announced that one of you will betray me they didn't look at judas and say well yeah it's going to be him they didn't know and peter tells john john was probably sitting on his right Ask him who it was. And John then was able to lean over and say, Lord, who is it? And he says, be the one that I give the, the bread to. And he dipped the bread and he fed it. He would have put it in his mouth to Judas. Uh, that is a horrific thing. And then Scripture says um, uh, that Satan entered into him. And then Jesus said, what you do, do quickly. He dismissed him out of there. And when he left, the disciples didn't recognize it. Uh, no one at the table, John says in John 13, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should have something, give something to the poor. Because, you know, Judas was so concerned about poor people. So after he had that reputation even up to that late point in time. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and then John says, and it was night. They're again using that metaphor of the light and the darkness. And um, as John later on writes in his letters at the end of the first century, um, talking about people who went out from us because they were not of us, I can't help but think that he certainly had Judas in mind there, uh, and that that night must have just been... Um, just burned into his thinking and his memory. But all apostates follow this pattern. They have some light, and they make some movement toward the light, uh, toward the Word of God, toward the truth, toward Christ, maybe even professing faith in Jesus Christ, and then they depart from it. That's That's the whole point where he says, some will depart from the faith. And so the faith there, and that's uh, page six in your notes, that list of the the reference to, references to the faith and how the faith is what Paul is really concerned about here. It's not the subjective faith that we have in Christ. It's the objective revelation, the Word of God, that which we can um, we can see, we can read it, we can teach it, we can also depart from it.
Okay, so I wanted to just uh, review that very quickly and to see if you have any questions or uh, thoughts about this basic definition of apostasy before we move on. Julie? Right. Exactly, yeah. That is such a good question. And even I think, I'm not sure who asked the question last week. Do they know they're apostates? I can't remember who asked that. That's an, was that you? Oh, but that's an excellent question. Um, because it gets down to what makes the difference in them. Jude says they are devoid of the spirit. So they're not saved. The spirit is not there. And how do we know that they are apostates? We have the witness of the Spirit through the Word of God. So I believe they they know they're rejecting something, but they're re- they don't. I don't believe they fully spiritually understand what they're rejecting. Okay. Now they would say, "Yes, I'm done with Christianity. I reject Christianity." I was look, looking and reading, and I have an article here even today about someone, pretty famous person, uh, well known. And he, just, I am done with Christianity. They come out and say it. Um, I am not a Christian anymore. They declare that. Now, those are pretty easy to spot, right? I mean, you don't have to, you don't have to guess. But then the question comes up, do they know what they're rejecting? So, I'm of the opinion, they know they're rejecting something. They're rejecting Jesus Christ. But they're spiritually blind. And so then I have a hard trouble believing that they actually understand the full spiritual ramifications of what they're doing. Um, but they still receive the consequences in judgment because they are rejecting God and his light and his revelation. But that is a real important question. Um, Peter, and there's probably a pretty high level of hostility toward that person, like there was Judas with the Lord. Um, and uh, But yeah, it, it, so it's a very interesting question. It's also difficult, but I don't, I personally don't believe, and I think that's what you're saying, if I get you right. They have, they're spiritually blind. They, they think they've grabbed hold of something. And this is why it's so dangerous if you alter the gospel to appeal to the flesh. You promise them something that the Bible doesn't promise them. And at some point in time, they're going to be disappointed. And so there's a, there's a, the danger starts way back upstream in proclaiming a gospel that's not really truly the gospel of the Bible. The the gospel of the Bible offers absolutely nothing that is attractive to an unregenerate person. Okay, You say, well, wait a minute. When I heard it, it sounded like good news. Okay, but why? Why? Something is different about the person who hears the gospel, and that is the work of the Spirit of God in their lives. Okay, So we have to be careful to share the gospel as the Bible presents it and not offer them something that the Bible doesn't. They'll grab a hold of it. Remember 1 Corinthians, Paul said, you know, the, the Jews want signs. He could have done that. The, but the Gentiles, the Greeks, they like wisdom. He could have done that. He could have built a massive church of Jewish people or Gentiles. But he preached the gospel because the elect will hear the gospel and come out of both of those groups. There was, was there any other questions or thoughts? This issue of apostasy, Nathal? He had up to that point. It's, it's a little bit difficult with the way that, the way the gospel accounts are, um, because sometimes, like in Luke's account, they're, they're not in chronological order. Um, we tend to want to see things in chronological order and present things that way. Oftentimes in scripture, they're more in a logical order, a sequential 
order that doesn't. So it's kind of hard to fit in everything. But up to prior to that, he had approached the um, the Pharisees and said, "What would you give me to betray him?" Oh, he did. Yeah, yeah. But I don't think I don't think you need to go back and find a point. Judas was never saved, ever. So that you can't go back and say, well, here's a point where he became lost. He always was. Now, he always was not an apostate. He became an apostate when that, when he rejected the light that he had and, and abandoned it. And just like here in um, this first verse, depart from the faith. So, um, any, anybody else? Yeah, Rick. Well, he called him, yeah, and called him to follow him, and um, you know, it, it. I don't think you can say and see in scripture at any point in time that you know a decision was made by Judas. I think he he never was saved at any point in time, um, and so it was not like he you know that he he there was a fulfillment of prophecy in the sovereignty of God. But at the same time, he reached out to him all the way up to the end, washed his feet, you know, he, he, he gave him that, that morsel, you know, and called him friend. He, he loved his disciples. He experienced every bit of that and then abandoned it. So tragic story, sad. Um, and that's why this is, this is, this is grim stuff, but it, we, we have to be prepared and be aware of it to to uh, be able to recognize it and deal with it in our own uh, environment here, and uh, but also to be able to understand how to how to minister to these people. There's an example of how to minister to an apostate. Okay, yeah, Peter. I think we reach out to them as much as we can for as long as we can, and and God is the one who's going to decide. Um, I mean, we also have to bear in mind. Hebrews chapter six. That's a that's a chronology of apostasy right there. They're enlightened. They tasted. Uh, maybe Jim could comment on this. Um, it, but then it says it is impossible to renew them again unto repentance. So we don't know when that line is crossed by that person. We can't tell. But we know there is a line from Scripture. Uh, we know that a person has to. They get to a point. That's why it's so dangerous to to be around the gospel or the word of God and hear it preached and taught, and especially in an environment where you hear the gospel regularly, you hear the word of God taught regularly. We also need to then encourage people, if you haven't trusted Christ, don't wait, because the, re- the continuous rejection of the gospel is, creates a hardening of your heart. And uh, as we're going to see this morning, a uh, possible callousing or searing of the conscience. And when that happens, um, that person is is lost, I believe, forever. It's impossible to renew them under repentance. Doesn't mean we don't continue to try. Uh, we don't. We don't. We don't know exactly when that line is crossed. So um, Jude, if you read through Jude, that was part of your homework assignment. Oh, I should have had a sign up list or something so I could. Well, we won't do that. <laughs> we won't do that. Um, 
Jude, you go a little 25-verse letter, and he gets down to the bottom. He says, okay, now here's how you deal with this kind of person. Here's how you deal with this kind of person, this kind of person. And there's there's variations on it as to how, how, but all of it has to do with mercy. We continue to offer the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God, plead with them, trust Christ. Um, even, you know, back to Hebrews, as, as Jim has shown us through there, um, part of the fellowship in the church is to encourage people if they're if they're um, wavering or if they're doubting to encourage them back into the Word of God, back into fellowship, so that so that you can trust in Christ and and be built up in your faith. Um, the warning passages in in Hebrews are there for a very good reason, and he's writing to Christians. He's writing to believing a believing group of people, and yet they're there because God uses means to move his people and draw his people to himself. Okay, was there, was there any other questions or thoughts? Yeah, Cornell. Yeah, and, and again, we don't, we don't know. That's, that's that, there's a lot we can't see, but we take what we do see and we do know from Scripture and we work to apply it. And, and, and that's why it's fully legitimate in a church setting that, you know, is a relatively sound church to continue to share the gospel, preach the gospel, encourage anyone, and let God determine by His Spirit who is or isn't and how He applies it. Our task is to, is to teach and preach the Word of God, right? We let God apply it to people's hearts and minds and lives. Yeah. I really uh, sure. Oh yeah, we have to assume that it can. And, and if nothing else, most of us probably know someone who this would apply to. And, and again, the, it, it, the ones that announce, well, I'm abandoning, I'm leaving Christianity, that's pretty easy, right? I mean, but you can also walk back and, and track this right through those, right through that person's life. You had the light, and many of these people are, are elevated up in the big, broad evangelical system. They're elevated up very quickly, and everybody's looking at them. And then all of a sudden, boom. And like Paul says, and others say elsewhere, you know, that the gospel is then blasphemed. Because, well, see, see, you, just like Second Peter 3, you know, the scoffers. Well, you stupid Christians, what do you believe in something like that for? It didn't help him, hasn't helped me. Well, what did you want? What kind of help did you want? Did you want your soul to be saved from eternal judgment because of your sins? Or did you want something else? This is why this issue of sensuality. If you appeal to the senses, you're going to get a big crowd of people, Right? Okay, it it is critical and it's it's really important and um, uh, you know we have to be prepared to deal with it. Okay, anything else? Okay, um, well let's let's work our way through this little chapter here. This is such an important thing to to talk about and deal with. I'm I'm glad we're able to do that. Good good discussion. Um, and I'm also aware that you know we can never. Uh, uh, handle all the issues in a, in a class like this. It is important to maybe sometime we should do like a brown bag after church and just, you know, have a great big discussion time here. It'd be fun to do. We should do that. Be happy to do that sometime. So, um, well, back to what Paul is talking to Timothy about here and in this letter and, um, where he says, and I'm just going to read through these five verses, but this is uh, house rule number 10. Beware of apostasy. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, 
who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Now, this is one of those passages in Scripture that when you read it, it's so stark and so um, so sharp-edged, you know. Paul's not one to sort of want to file off any sharp edges here, kind of like John in First uh, John, you know. It's black and white, either or kind of deal. And uh, I personally like that. I like the clarity of it. And uh, But it's also very grim. What he's doing, he's just drilling down and showing us the underlying forces in these types of things. Um, and so uh, it, it, it almost does not require a whole lot of exposition, although we're going to do that. I'm, uh, you just read through a passage like that, and it's pretty self-explanatory. But we're going to work through it. We're going to see, first of all, the certainty of apostasy. This is, remember when this is written? 22 centuries ago, and he's saying it's going to happen. He says, now, or but, I think maybe but would be a better translation of that, simply because it, it, it implies a sharper contrast to what he has just said back up in uh, 14 through 16. The confession that we have is that Christ Jesus manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. This would have been a creed that these people memorized, possibly put to music and sung in their fellowships. But the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith. They depart from the faith. Paul, uh, you know, as, as we've seen so far, he's real big on the faith, the Word of God, and that the Word of God be taught and preached and preserved and protected in the churches. And so um, this is a, uh, a warning that there's certainly going to come apostasy. Um, when he says the Spirit expressly says, some of your translations may say explicitly, this is a single occurrence of this word in the New Testament, which tells you something. It tells you it's really important right here in this context. And it's the Spirit saying this. Now, we know that all Scriptures God breathed and profitable, but uh, when the Apostle Paul says the Spirit expressly or explicitly says, that should get our attention even more uh, because of the topic here. And it really explicitly, and it actually means to express in words. Well, we know the Spirit inspires Paul to write what he's writing, and yet it's like this is some other level of inspiration, even though there really is no other level. But it's just really critically important. And he says, in later times, some will depart from the faith. We know that later times, we're in later times. Writer of Hebrews said long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. By the way, creation there, fundamental to the writer of Hebrews uh, theology there. They're in the last days at the coming of Christ. And um, most scholars believe that it is talking about the church age between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. So the latter times, we are in the latter times right now. And he says, some will depart from the faith. 
And so uh, uh, their departure is from the truth, the Word of God. And it means, as we looked, saw last time, to abandon, to leave, forsake. And the faith, and again, not the subjective faith to believe, that's part of it, obviously. They never had that. They never did that. They never exercised faith in the truth, in the person of Jesus Christ. And uh, But what they abandon is the truth, uh, the objective content of the Word of God. And it's going to happen. It's not maybe, it could be. It's certainly going to happen. And, of course, it has been happening all through the history of God's redemptive program, as we have seen. They will depart from the faith. And then we see the source of it. Where does this come from? How How is that uh, part of this? And that's the rest of verse 1. By devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Now you know where it comes from. They devote themselves, this the way this word is uh, presented here, it means they're actively, uh, on purpose, devoting themselves. It has to do with uh, what occupies their mind, what occupies their time and their thinking, um, to be willfully committed to something. You remember but one of the uh, requirements of a deacon, back up in the context, was that he not be devoted to wine. Well, Clearly there, that's talking about a person who is addicted to wine. It's the very same word. It's, it, it's what occupies their thinking. It occupies their, their, uh, their time and all of their efforts. And what are they devoted to? Deceitful spirits, clearly. Demons who are deceptive, deceitful. They seduce people. These are fallen angels. They are angels who have apostatized. This is what's so fascinating. Jude uses the angels as an example of apostasy in his little letter. They, they were, they had light, did they not? I mean, they had the presence of God and they had eternally, since their existence, um, understood who God was. But what happened? Satan fell and they followed him. So they became demons. And, um, the people who are, are devoting themselves to them do that because, as Jude says in Jude 19, they are devoid of the spirit. They are devoid of the Spirit. They have no defense in any way, shape, or form against this. Peter? Yeah. <clears throat> it, 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 any false teaching, any cult, right? If you just want to go with the kind of big graphic uh, examples, any cult is a cult by definition. They have abandoned the faith. So, so you can look at, you can look at two parts of this as we saw, and, and Paul's going to deal with it later on too. There's two things that are very important here. He tells Timothy later on, pay attention to your life and doctrine. So you can look at the doctrine and clearly say this is cultic and it's demonically energized. Any false teaching is demonically energized like that. You could also look at, look at their life, you know, how is their life in compliance with the Word of God. And so, I mean, it, the, the examples are everywhere. The, the, the history of liberalism started out, you know, uh, basically they deny major, all major doctrines of Scripture. And that has different forms through history. Um, even right now, you're, the, 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 the whole issue of um, churches that want to change the methodology of Scripture God has called us to preach and teach the Word of God. There's evangelical movements, and has been for about 45 years now, that say, no, we shouldn't do that. We should do these other things. Well, that that doesn't come from Scripture. Then where does it come from? Uh, it comes from the, the, the doctrines of demons that want to change and alter 
what the church does. And if you alter what the church does, if you alter the methodology, the, the, your altering of the, the truth will shortly uh, follow after. Um, it always has. Spurgeon dealt with this in the, the downgrade controversy at the end of the, the 19th century. So is that, does that answer the question? That would qualify. Yeah, that would definitely qualify. <laughs> okay. But um, the source, they devote themselves to deceitful spirits and, and here's the key, it's not just that they, that they focus in on demons, it's the teachings or the doctrines of the demons. And so there we are that the, the, the teachings get changed, they get altered. Paul talks about people um, who don't teach healthy doctrine. And this is all through the pastoral letters. Or they teach some other doctrine. He dealt with that right at the very beginning. Um, these people who teach uh, heterodoxy, he uses this word, uh, other different teaching than, than apostolic doctrine. And people say nowadays, in fact, it's almost a creed. Well, I'm not interested in doctrine. I want what's practical, right? I mean, I can't think of anything that's less practical for your spiritual life than, than something that's devoid of Scripture or doctrine or teaching. But uh, these people are devoted to these spiritual deception, underlying and energizing all false teachers and false religious systems are demonic forces. Fallen angels who followed Satan in his rebellion left their divinely appointed place in God's created order. There again, it's a violation of creation. And now do the bidding of their master Satan and seduce and influence people to do the same thing. Okay? They devote themselves to deceitful spirits and the doctrines of demons. Paul uses the word doctrines 15 times in the pastoral letters, and often it's encouragement to teach sound doctrine, that type of thing. Well, here it's a warning against the false teachers who are um, demonically energized. And this is part of the great, the great deception. The very guy who's standing in a pulpit ranting and raving and trying to teach people how to do spiritual warfare by chasing around a county, uh, driving stakes in the ground and, uh, you know, staking out geographic areas because there's geographic demons and demons of this and demons of that. That's a, that's a deception. That's a distraction. That's a, that's a sleight of hand. If they really want to find out where the demonic activity is, it's right there. Okay, that's demonically generated false teaching to distract people from the reality of the demonic deception that's standing right in front of them. Okay, um, I, I, when I was studying this, I thought, I wonder if Kenneth Copeland ever reads this verse. <laughs> Devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. And he'd have to say if he was being truthful, you know, like me. Because there's an example right there. I mean, clearly demonic forces are involved, but many of those same people are teaching about demons and how to deal with them supposedly and so, so-called spiritual warfare. But the real spiritual warfare, we're back to Ephesians chapter 6, right? The weapons of our warfare. What is it? What's our battle? It's against these fortresses, these, but it's ideas and concepts and thoughts. It's, it's words and teachings that we uh, we battle against. And the sources, spirits and demons and that type of thing. False, deceitful spirits. And um, then that brings us to Roman numeral three, the slavery of apostasy. These people are slaves. 
They are insincere, so they lie because they have seared consciences. Okay? And that's that verse. This is, this is verse two. Through the insincerity of liars. So in other words, the underlying forces are demonic and yet they use people, right? The agents are, are, uh, people that they, that they move and seduce with their teachings and then they become the agents of, of the false lies. They are insincere, so they lie. They have seared consciences. This is just so graphic. It's done through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. It actually uses this word, um, insincerity. It's the word hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy, right? They're hypocritical liars. Demons use those who have abandoned the truth to propagate lies. And often, they're very, very nice people. This might have been your point, Peter. Um, you can see they're very nice people. And this is why it's so hard for, for a lot of people in evangelical circles to go, wait a minute, no, 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 he's not demonically uh, energized. He's a nice man. He, he's so kind and, and uh, loving. And you could just go right down the list, right? And yet, that's not the issue. You have to take that person's teaching and see if it is in line with the Word of God every time and try to get the emotional part out of it. In 2 Corinthians 11, 13 and 14, Paul describes apostate false teachers. They're not people sitting there with their heads spinning around, you know, and uh, puking out split pea soup. They're not uh, dancing around in a clearing in a jungle someplace, chopping up a chicken in front of a bonfire, spraying chicken blood all over themselves. They are, they are very respectable, kind, uh, people who, who in many ways they minister to people, they feed people, they do all kinds of good works. And yet, if they, if they are teaching false doctrine, they fit this category. Paul says, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Once again, there's a statement of their judgment. Okay, it They look good. They sound good. They are kind. They're loving. They help people. They mean those Churches or those denominations, those groups, might have massive charitable uh, works that they're doing, right? I mean, we can all see it. We can all identify it. But that's not what Paul's talking about. He wants to make sure that we understand what counts as the truth, the Word of God, what he's calling the faith. And the reason this happens is because their consciences are seared. Very graphic. It, it, in some, some of your translations might even say seared with a hot iron. Um, the conscience is so critical. It's so important. Cauterizo. Cauterizo. We have the word, we've transliterated that word. Cauterize, right? That's what it means. If you, if you burn yourself, you create scar tissue that becomes insensitive. Um, this is what happens to somebody's conscience if they reject the Word of God, and if they repeatedly reject the Word of God, and and um, uh, the issue of time is, is involved too. If this goes on for a long period of time, then their conscience can become, as Scripture says, could become hardened. They could, Their hearts are hardened. Their conscience, as, as Paul says, could become seared. And, and then it's a, 
it's, it, it, it is a very difficult situation. They become enslaved to their lies. And then what happens? They slander. The slander of apostasy. Well, of course, they, they're insincere, so they lie. Their consciences are seared. And they, again, this is back to, do they really realize it? Probably not. What they're saying is probably considered to be the truth to them. False gospels are not presented as false gospels. They're presented as the truth. And they would say so and they would think so. And it says, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. These people slander in the sense of they lie about the gospel, they lie about the word of God, but they also lie to people and they impose regulations on people that the Bible does not impose. They forbid marriage, they require abstinence from food. Uh, Basically, they forbid two things, to marry, to partake, and to partake of food. Um, We can all think of groups that have done this historically. Some of them still do. Um, the reason they do this is because they want to impose these legalities on people in order to control them. They want to do that because it's uh, uh, part of the lie. And, and look what they're violating. It's right back to creation, foods that God created. Uh, this, again, foundational to everything Paul thinks and everything in the Scripture is creation, and he goes right back to it. God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. What's the solution to apostasy? Well, back to Scripture, back to the word of God, back to understanding God's created order, Paul's already dealt with this previously, right? He's back to it here. And God's word to be taught, God's word to be proclaimed, back to the word of God. And when he says everything created by God is good, and it's made holy by the word of God in prayer, there's a a variety of opinions as to what he's talking about here. I think the best one is to to say um, it's not that somehow you you proclaim something over something and change it, you know, like uh, the Catholic issue of uh, transubstantiation. No piece of bread or no cracker has ever been changed ever by anybody's prayer, even though it goes on thousands of times a day all over the world. Okay, it's still just a piece of bread. Okay, so that doesn't sanctify it in any way, shape, or form. Even uh, thanking God for our food, which is a good thing to do eat with thankfulness. But I think what he's talking about here in the context, everything created, sanctified by the Word of God. Why? Well, there's Genesis 1.31 down there at the bottom. God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. The Word of God has sanctified everything God has created, right? In that sense. I think that's the best way to, to understand that. And also, by the Word of God and prayer. Well, what's he talking about there? If it is received with thanksgiving, who's going to receive it with thanksgiving? The people who know the truth and who believe, back up in verse 3. So I think very simply you can understand it from the context, what he's talking about there. Uh, 
So beware of apostasy, and it's going to happen. It is. We can we can see it all around us. The source of apostasy underlying the the teachings of false teachers is demonic activity themselves apostates, and then these people become slaves and they slander. And the solution is back to the Word of God, back to understanding God's created order, back to applying Scripture. If there's a question about a doctrine, we go back to the Word of God to understand it so that we can um, we can accurately see what God is doing here. But um, it is a... Uh, uh, Obviously, and I can tell by your questions that this is a this is a huge issue. It's critical. It's important. But we also have to remember that we offer the grace of God all the time, and we offer the gospel. And so, you know, as we take this and apply it, we have to remind people that um, it it doesn't do to sign up for something. It doesn't work to attend church. You may be a very nice person, a very good person. You. You probably are. You, you, a faithful husband, a, a hardworking mother, a caring mother. But God has a different standard. His standard is His own righteousness, not a righteousness that we look at. Um, and that righteousness can only be applied to you through faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And we have to tell people that, and we have to encourage them. Even if you've been coming to church for a long time, even if you're a member of a church, maybe you've been associated with a group of people who claim to be Christians, or it's a Christian organization or system for a long period of time, you must be born again. That's what Jesus said. And uh, that only happens through your repentance of your sin and faith in Jesus Christ. And so we encourage people to do that uh, and to do it. Now, don't wait. Okay. Any other thoughts from that you might have? Pro, I'm sure there are. I keep asking that. I know there are. <laughs> We've raised a lot of questions here. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah, which which is a works which falls in the category of a works righteousness system. Now they would they would argue with that and say, Oh no, we believe in salvation by by God's grace. The question is, is it God's grace alone? In other words, they would say, well, this, this is one of the sacraments that gives you the grace to help you merit salvation. Um, they will never pronounce somebody justified like Scripture does. Remember, we saw Abraham last week. He believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. He's, he's justified before God. That can't, can never happen in the Catholic system. Um, while, I mean, it just, it just doesn't. But, uh, that's, a, that's a good example of a system that... that that cannot help people in any way, shape, or form. Okay? Well, let's pray together before we go. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting kootenaichurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.